You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javet, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. In this podcast, we cover everything from churches and church planting efforts, mission and missions organization evangelism, and unreached people groups, emerging movements and initiatives, justice, current events related to faith, and the persecuted church too author interviews, and more. Let's get to it. In this episode, we are uh, talking to J.D. Payne. He is a professor of uh, Christian ministry at Samford University. Before joining the faculty, he served as the pastor of church uh, multiplication with the church at uh, Brook Hills in Alabama. And uh, here we are, as always, I try to keep it very natural and uh, try to talk about real stuff so we don't have a script. Uh, so we're going to talk about his ministry. He's been uh, doing a lot of uh, ministry um, um, uh, through writing, uh, through his podcast and, of course, uh, uh, conferences and other things. But right now, what I want to talk about is missions and evangelism and church growth. Jerry Payne, welcome to our program, Our Urban Voices. Please share with us a little bit about your family um, life and then your ministry calling. Yes, absolutely. Uh, thank you so much, brother. It is a delight and an honor to be with you. I so much appreciate your your ministry and, and your, your kingdom vision. Um, so a little bit about, about my life for, for your listeners that are not familiar with me. Um, I actually uh, grew up uh, in Appalachia in southeastern Kentucky. Uh, grew up in a small town called Corbin, Kentucky, uh, home of the first KFC, <laughs> by <laughs> the way. So about, about two miles from, uh, from my mother's house. And um, small town, about 8,000 people when I was a child. I think it's now about 7,000. Um, I came to faith when I was uh, in high school through the ministry of my, my local church and um, felt that the Lord was leading me into vocational ministry after that. Um, I've served churches uh, in uh, Kentucky and Indiana and Alabama, uh, served with the mission agency for several years, been in, been in the academy teaching at the seminary uh, level and also the undergraduate level. Uh, my wife is Sarah, and um, we've been married almost 27 years. Uh, we have three children. Uh, Hannah is our oldest daughter, and she's in college. And uh, Rachel is a senior in high school, and Joel, our son, is uh, as a freshman in high school. And so we've been in Birmingham, Alabama, for the past uh, almost 10 years. That's so awesome. So walk me through how you got into, you have so much experience. I mean, when I was looking at your bio, I was like, man, this guy has like done so much already. <laughs> so when did you start? What caused you to get into the ministry? And just so you know, my earlier introduction to an in our talk, I did not share with you, but my earlier introduction to you was uh, um, uh, your book in seminary. I got your book, Discovering Church Planting. Mm-hmm. and introduction to what's, why's, and how's of uh, global church planting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I looked up, and uh, well, actually, that was my doctorate degree when I was looking uh, uh, up your resources. Um, and uh, that's, that was my introduction. But what amazing uh, ministry. So 
tell us a little bit, how do you start, what age and how you got into the, into ministry? I, I was very young. Um, I, I mentioned just a moment ago, I came to faith when I was uh, uh, actually in high school. I was a freshman in high school, and I um, really sensed that the Lord was leading me into vocational ministry uh, when I was um, uh, toward the end of my junior year of of high school. And um, at that time, I the only way that I knew how to kind of interpret what that meant was that the Lord was leading me into pastoral ministry. And, and while I have been, been a pastor for, for 19 years, I've, you know, been involved in other forms of ministry expression as well. When the Lord started working on my heart, leading me in that direction, that was something that I did not want to do. Um, I, I felt that the Lord was leading me in that direction but I, I ran from, from that calling on my life. I uh, came up with all these alternative plans for God. You know, God, I got, I got, I got another uh, great option for you. That was, you know, this, this, my plan's better. And I just became more and more miserable because of the sin of rebellion that I was walking in. And it was like the, the spirit was just basically pushing me farther and farther down to the ground. And um, I realized one day that if, if Jesus is Lord of my life, I cannot say to him, no, I'm not going to do your will. And number two, I realized that if I continued in this direction, there would be a very good possibility that one day I would wake up in the belly of a big fish. And so, um, so repented of that sin and said, Lord, I, you know, I don't, I don't understand what all this means. I'll, I'll follow you as you lead me. And, uh, and instantly, there was just a great deal of, of peace and joy that the Lord just brought into my life, relief, even though I didn't know what that meant in the future. Um, the Lord opened up an opportunity for me to begin pastoring when I was 20 years old. And um, just every time I you know, would see those opportunities uh, you know, and prayed about them, since the Lord was going leading in that direction, you know, I, would, I would try to walk in those, you know, through those doors, through those opportunities. And, and yes, I mean, it's, that's very true. I mean, I, I started very young and, um, and, you know, the Lord's been very gracious over the years. I've done quite a few things, um, you know, for, you know, for his, his glory alone, I hope, even though I'm sure my sin has crept in at times, but um, I've just tried to be faithful uh, with the opportunities that the Lord sets, sets before me. And your wife, Sarah, uh, by the way, my wife's name is Sarah too. I have uh, four children. <laughs> to, uh, yeah, five years old, three years old, and my twins are only one year old. These wow, are, you you yeah. have a very exciting household right now. <laughs> right, right, right. And and the girls are and they are girls, so two boys, two girls. Wow, and, that's yeah, great, it's fun. So you said uh, I knew that your wife's name is Sarah because one of your podcasts you were talking and you mentioned her name. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so is Sarah been part of uh, your ministry? Uh, how involved uh, uh, because you are when i when i listen to your stuff or read your stuff i'm more um i'm i'm hearing a missiologist almost i'm hearing a person on uh, on mission or in mission field uh, at least that's my personal understanding mm-hmm. so is she what is her role as as your wife yeah, so that's that's a that's a wonderful question. Um, and I would say that um, 
that we we are are sort of atypical um because when when my Sarah and I met we were both students at the University of Kentucky we met through a, a Christian organization on campus and uh we we were actually uh going out doing evangelism on campus and uh, we were paired up together <laughs> to go out um but I knew that when we met that uh, she had a real strong sense that the Lord was leading her to uh, to medical school and to actually become a physician. And uh, at the same time, you know, we, you know, as the Lord allowed our, our relationship to develop and prayed through that process, we, you know, we continue to see, um, you know, his, his hand in that. And so my wife has, um, has been a physician for, for many years. She practices internal medicine and pediatrics uh, mm. here in Birmingham and, and, and she has, you know, all of our, our years together. So other than obviously when she was in school, but um, her, her involvement has been obviously limited um, to, to the fact that she also is heavily involved in, in the marketplace and in ministry and things of that nature, you know, through her, uh, her profession, but thoroughly supportive. She has always been incredibly supportive and incredibly uh, encouraging to me, um, you, know, you know, Proverbs talks about uh, gold there is and rubies and abundance, but lips that speak wisdom are a rare find. That's a passage in Proverbs chapter 20. And, and my wife is, is that rare find in my eyes. She is that, that individual who speaks great, great amount of wisdom that the Lord has given to her. And so she has been, you know, the churches where we've served, she's always been faithful in using her gifts and passions and talents and abilities as a church member. Uh, she, again, she's always been very, very supportive of me and what I, I'm doing, but, but it's different. It's very much atypical. I've only met uh, two other um, couples uh, over the past um, 27 years that uh, the husband uh, was involved in um, pastoral ministry, and the wife was a physician. And so I'm sure there are others out there right. probably listening on this podcast, but um, but it's definitely different. But um, but that that's how uh, she's been involved uh, over the years, just a, a great, a great partner. And I, I would not have it any other way. That's so awesome. And it's so important to have your wives on your sides, the listeners, if you are men, if you're in ministry, and I know that some of you who are listening are pastors too, uh, it's important to have your wives on your side. Um, let me, and, you know, and I would say something else, brother, some, you know, the churches where we've served over the years, you know, they obviously, um, you know, all churches have expectations for, you know, pastors and their spouses. And, and going into that, we, you know, we explain that to the churches that, you know, if the Lord was leading us in part, you know, in ministry together, um, you know, what my wife's, you know, responsibilities, you know, could be within the body of Christ, but also the fact that she's, you know, what her responsibilities would be, you know, in the marketplace as well. And, and the churches over the years have just been incredibly supportive and incredibly encouraging. It's been a blessing. Yeah. And I think this is important to understand. Uh, and I was uh, going to say, uh, yeah, um, throughout this time. So I've been married to, uh, for eight years. And uh, even before that, we were together for seven years. We, uh, we were in school. So Sarah was uh, studying and I was studying. Then uh, she was still in school when I got my job and I, I was working. So it was just, God just allowed us to uh, spend seven years <clears throat> away from each other. We were not even the same cities. 
uh, mm-hmm. different states. But mm-hmm. the point is this, from day one, I had this very clear understanding that uh, she is a she is a child of God, a individual person, and I don't want her to be known as the uh, the wife of Pastor Alphonse. Mm-hmm. Or uh, um, I also teach uh, at Liberty or Doctor mm-hmm. Alphonse Javed. Yes. Uh, I wanted to uh, I wanted her to be known for her uh, for who she is. So even when I interviewed with my this church where I am. Um, here I would, uh, they will talk to us and I will say, yeah, uh, what do you think about, uh, what do you think, Sarah? And Sarah will say something. And later on, I found out how this, it, this just one single thing impressed so many people that how, how I value her as a mm-hmm. complete person. And yes. then I, I always take pride introducing her as, oh, she is a CPA because mm-hmm. I know that yes, I got my doctorate, but all I did, I just studied and done my work and got doctorate. But uh, she had to work so hard to pass those. I was there. She was, uh, mm-hmm. we didn't have the children yet. And she was working really hard to pass those exams, CPA exam. It was really difficult. Yes. And yes. Uh, I, um, and I, and then uh, she got also her master's in finance, but I love when wives have their individual career and all that. They are a complete person and then they are serving the Lord and you guys are working together and the church knows, but it, it should. And that was one of the things I, I did ask our, and I'm sure some of our church members are going to listen to this podcast too. Uh, and they know that uh, I was very clear that um our elders were very clear that we are hiring you not your wife mm-hmm. yes so right. that's important to understand it helps to maintain uh, expectation it's a good point. Um, so you said uh, you are not an a you are not the apostle paul type uh that's correct yes right yes barnabas so <laughs> unpack that for me so you know over the years obviously you know, my calling into vocational ministry was very young. And so, you know, I'm, I'm still learning. <laughs> I still haven't arrived. I'm still learning. I always will be. But obviously, you know, when, when you're young, you, you've got more to learn uh, than when you're older, generally speaking. And so part of, um, part of that learning process is just understanding oneself and one's uh, gifts and passions and interests and talents and abilities uh, because there's not a great deal of life experience at that point. Um, and so, you know, th- there have been times in my life when I've thought, well, maybe maybe the Lord has wired me in that 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 kind of missionary kind of direction like we talk about with the Apostle Paul and others. But what I found is that whenever I would begin to kind of step out into that realm of ministry, um, I the, the I guess the response that I saw as far as the confirmation of the Spirit's work in my heart, uh, the, the, the fruit, even at small levels uh, that the Lord was doing, my, my own, um, uh, you know, I want to be careful how I use the word satisfaction, but, but my own, you know, contentment, joy, delight uh, in what I was doing, it, it just wasn't there. However, when I found myself more in the pastor-teacher role when i'm thinking about you know ephesians 4 11 and 12 you know and he and he he gave some apostles 
uh, or he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. But when I found myself in that pastor teacher role, um, there was much more, even, even in difficult times, even when I did not see a lot of fruit, there was much more a sense of rest and yes, this is where I need to be and confirmation from the body of Christ and confirmation of the spirit just in my heart and things of that nature. But what I recognized over the years very quickly was that while the church, particularly in the traditionally Western world, thinks and processes ministry through what I call a set of pastoral lenses, almost everything we think about in the way that we do strategy and methods and train our people, it's almost through a set of pastoral lenses. Even when we go into majority world countries, and we're talking about planting churches, it's almost as if we are filtering it through a pastoral mindset and not an apostolic mindset. But as I began to study the scriptures, and I recognize very clearly, for example, Barnabas's role in the, fa- in the, in the process of, of Paul actually being received by the apostles in Jerusalem, and Barnabas's role in, in, in Paul's um, uh, church planning work, particularly on the, on the first uh, missionary journey, I realized the significance of having people to come alongside those more apostolic type individuals to help equip them and raise them up. Because as of right now in, in, um, in, in the traditionally Western context, they're, they're not, I think they're not prized, valued, supported. And I think the system and the culture in which we have the atmosphere in which we have, it's just not there. It's very pastoral. And there are a lot of people out there that are not called to be pastors, but they're called to be more in that Apostle Paul missionary type, church planter type. And the question is, can our, can the pastors raise them up and equip them? And that's that's who I've seen myself or how I've seen myself over the years. That's so awesome. And uh, I, I, I always wonder, um, because you know how it is, the uh, um, APAC whole ministry of uh, uh, just going through these these different uh, uh, ministries or different uh, um, callings, right? Mm-hmm. So some people, apostles, pastors, as you went through that list. Um, but in each person, um, for me, it would be, I, I do see a couple of those things very proud, but I don't see uh, complete absence of any of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, prophetic, as far as the prophetic uh, um ministry is concerned I'm, I'm i'm a baptist person so i my understanding theological understanding is different from uh, some uh, uh, charismatic friends right but i do believe there is a prophetic voice when well, that means like uh, now we are in this difficult uh, time uh, where people are uh, fearful so prophetic voice says that hey uh, god is sovereign because that comes from the word and uh, he is coming back. He is going to just this past uh, uh, Saturday, last Saturday, um, I um, painfully performed a a funeral of uh, 17 weeks old uh, child. Mm, mm. And uh, there, uh, what kind of hope you're going to bring, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, you got to bring the message of hope, but you also, there are times when you are talking to those who are up, they are, uh, they don't understand that. And I have uh, some family members who do not, uh, uh, they are pro-choice, right? Mm-hmm. So when you have pro-choice and just trying to give them the understanding of, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not against anything. I'm just, I'm just for life. I'm, 
Right. Uh, uh, that's what I'm. I believe. So there is this this idea of, you know, Old Testament has the prophets. Prophets will bring like, hey, repent. Uh, unless you repent, uh, God's uh, uh, judgment is uh, is coming for you, right? Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. people repent, so that's the job of the prophet. So when it comes to description, I I think. Uh, uh, as you grow, you understand that uh, though theologically certain, uh, you know, as uh, as far as uh, my theology is concerned, certain roles and certain things are no longer valid. But yet those uh, gifts uh, are exercised in a different format, different mm-hmm. way. Um, now, why I'm saying this, because you just brought something to my mind. Uh, I have a church planter uh, in New York, wonderful man. But he is so deep in just uh, his main focus is uh, this this APAC. Uh, just that's what he says, and he uses the word uh, phrase APAC, and he's like his child, who is only uh, probably he's going to listen to this uh, podcast too. His child is only I think uh, he just turned seven, uh, six or seven. Uh, he knows these things, so I was like. Do we need to talk about these kind of heavy things? And then when I was interviewing with this current church uh, here, they were talking about like, okay, so uh, what kind of spiritual gifts you got? Which ministry you have? I said, I don't think mm-hmm. I have like uh, one specific type. So so my question is, one, do we need to focus on identifying what who you are, whether you're an apostle type or you're a prophet type or what type? Two, um, do we need to uh, um, do we need to emphasize that in our congregations? So the church planter, if he's starting with that, um, mm-hmm. I, I do not know whether that's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for an existing church that's been around for 70 plus years or more, uh, trying to find a new pastor who is, uh, uh, you know, um, has a focus of uh, developing spiritual gifts. So I'm, I'm trying to, yes. I'm wrestling with that. So that, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm having yes. a difficult time to coherently uh, bring forth what I'm, I'm struggling. But just because yeah. you talk about this, it seems like you're very clear in your mind uh, about your role, who you are not and who you are. Mm-hmm. But I think your context is important because you are talking about in the context of church planters and pastors as right. you along. Yes. Um, so go on. Yeah, so you know, and, and you know, my my denominational um, uh, background is a Baptist as well. Um, just so so you and your listeners uh, will be in the know. Uh, fourth generation, I'm a fourth generation Baptist. Um, so back in the 1990s and uh, 1980s, there was a very strong movement in the United States on discovering your spiritual gifts, and there were all kinds of you know, gift inventories out there, you know, take this test, you'll discover your spiritual gifts, fill in, you know, take this multiple choice, you know, quiz, and you'll, you'll figure out what your spiritual gift is. And, and that is not what we, we see in the New Testament, as far as I believe the process of understanding and discerning one's gift, giftedness, one's calling, things of that nature. Um, Those are, you know, modern expressions. Um, and you know, which is an, you know uh, another conversation topic. I, I think that the the best way, the primary way that we come to understand who we are, our gifts, our calling, and things of that nature, it's 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 both private and it's public. Um, 
there there is an ish, issue of as I'm spending time in the in the Word, I'm spending time praying and fasting and seeking the Lord's guidance. You know, what what do I sense that the Lord is is revealing uh, in His Word and His Spirit in my life? But also there is this notion of of body life of of the body of Christ because we're part of this community. We're not lone rangers for Jesus, and so. What is the body of Christ saying to me when the body looks at me and how I'm serving and using my passions, talents, abilities, things of that nature? Um, what's what's the church sensing? And so those two, I believe, come together. And part of the process of understanding gifts and understanding callings and things of that nature is is not only the you know spending time with the Lord, walking with Him, you know, spending time in in faithful, uh, fruit bearing. Uh, uh, ministries in and through one's local church, but just over time, you know, getting involved and having that experience, because I think a great deal of it is meant to be understood through actual ministry actions. Now, have, having said that, um, where the Bible is loud, we can speak very loudly, but where the Bible is is silent, we have to be silent um, and acknowledge that, and so there are Many people that are out there today that that are talking about um, you know apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teachers, and and other gifts with with some very strong definitive statements. Mm-hmm. And I'm not certain that some of those statements that are out there are biblically justifiable. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, they may be right. I mean, the people that are advocating some of the things that they're saying that we can we can definitely know that this is you know what it means to be a prophet. We can definitely know this is what it means to be an, a, you know, an evangelist or you know, apostle or whatever. But some, some of the things that I'm hearing and some of the ways that people are saying, hey, if you have this desire, if you have this you know, inkling, then you must be in this category, that category, try to figure out your category. Um, I, I don't see it in the scriptures. And so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to just put out on the table the recognition that biblically th- they're are gifts there are you know callings and ministries that we see in first corinthians chapter 12 14 uh, romans chapter 12 and you know many several other passages but that the way to to understand who we are is is serving in body life walking faithfully with the lord and and immersing ourselves in ministry and see what happens rather than trying to you know get it all worked out identify someone with a label first I mean, I think it's, let's see what they do. Let's see what happens. Let's see what the spirit does. Mm-hmm. And then let's, let's adjust accordingly. Hmm. Hmm. And I, yeah, I see your point. And I think too often I've seen, it's not only this issue, but often uh, the, the principle of not, uh, principle of not uh, uh, reading into the scriptures, right? That's it's exactly helpful. right. Because yes, when, there, there's a lot of eisegesis going on out there right correct. now. Correct. That's 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 a good term. That's a good term, because I think that's the problem. Uh, even in the pastoral ministry, uh, I I see this uh, one verse or two verses become the focus. Actually, uh, I I love when people tell me they have a life verse, and uh, when people ask me what is your life verse, <laughs> verse I say. Well, it changes as circumstances change with life. <laughs> I I don't know why I don't have I never had one. I mean, it changes. I was uh, I was born and raised in Pakistan, and for a very long time, my life verse was uh, uh, if I live, 
I live for Christ. If I die, it's like that was my thing. Now I don't want to die because life changed. <laughs> now, I'm, now I'm joyful. So, right. Yeah. So it's it just it's just different season. I, yes. I don't know. It just changes every. So the, I, my point is, uh, no one verse is the uh, you know if, if God has to. You're right. If if God has to say something. He will be loud and clear and he will say over and over again. And it's almost like God is uh, your grandfather who just forgot. He told me the same story just mm -hmm. last week. Right. And mm -hmm. he's telling over and over again. And he tells uh, uh, us to tell other. And he explains to that uh, to us that the reason why he wants us to keep telling the story, because he don't want us to forget And generation after generation, he wants us to tell the same thing. Uh, but I think churches uh, get um, not churches, individuals too, right. get uh, um, too involved in one verse that they forget the rest of the council of uh, the scripture, the complete and the whole council of the word. Right. Um, yes. And, and not, we have to we have to rest in that some of that uncertainty, and we have to understand that some some definitions just are not have not been given to us, and and that's okay. But but we. We don't like that. We we like always having the details. We like categories, and we like to be able to fit into categories when it comes to um, body life. And and sometimes it's just not that neat and tidy. Right. So let me, as we coming close to end of this uh, conversation. By the way, I, I have already learned so many wonderful things. So thank you for speaking uh, into those topics. Oh, you're so very kind. In one of your books, um, um, I'll find the title later. I have uh, quoted that in my one of my blogs, and uh, the blog was on the multi-site church, <clears throat> that the multi-site church is no longer a church model. Now, we're talking about pre-COVID. This is before COVID times. So mm -hmm. when multi-site church was uh, just popping up everywhere, it was no longer a, 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 a model. Instead, it has become a movement with multiple models to choose from to accommodate the needs of the target audience. So people, mm -hmm. were, so in New York, uh, um, uh, Journey Church was doing that so much, and now suddenly, if you go on their website, it's just totally changed. Almost every church changed. Um, uh, so, one of your books talks about this, and it says. Um, um, it, it talks about the growth part, right? So I, I, I'm trying to look for the blog. I, I actually uh, did a review on your book too. But point I'm trying to make is you, when you talk about growth, and uh, I think you, um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, my thought was uh, you, you are not advocating for models. Um, but I just wanted to hear from you, what is your current advice for people who are trying to grow their churches? What are you looking at? Um, and you're like assessing and like, okay, you know what? Uh, I used to think that people needs to follow this model or this technique, but I think now that may not work. Right. Any nuance? Well, I'm, I'm not anti-models. I mean, we, we, you know, the Lord works through models, in and through models, but models are tools. Models are birthed out of particular contexts. They are generally shaped heavily by the gifts and passions and talents and abilities of church leaders in those contexts and the churches themselves. So they're not they're not translatable. 
are you know, there are elements that are translatable from one city to another city, from one country to another country, but models are really tools to help us discern principles, to help us understand what the spirit's done and you know what's working, what's not working in certain contexts. So I always say to my students, hold on to learn models, but hold on to them loosely. Mm-hmm. Um, rather, it's more important as you are praying and fasting and seeking the Lord's guidance, apply the biblical principles when it comes to issues related to ministry and, and your question is related to growth. When you look at the scriptures about how churches grow, um, the Bible is very clear that church growth was first and foremost uh, a conversion growth issue. It was about making disciples, people coming out of the kingdom of darkness, becoming fruit-bearing disciples in local churches. And in many cases, those local churches were birthed out of the harvest, which means that they were being birthed through evangelism. But what we have come to understand church growth to be about, uh, particularly in the United States, especially from about the late 1970s, is that church growth became primarily about transfer growth. Right. In other words, the, the, the shuffling the shuffling of the sheep around in the kingdom of God. In other words, how can we get people who are long-term kingdom citizens to join our church? And I would say that should not be your priority. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm thankful that when I'm have moved in my life. There have been established churches that my family and I could join, but the first and foremost priority is to reach people in the harvest field. So so growth is primarily done through evangelistic work, conversion growth uh, from a biblical perspective. So I would say from from a local church issue, from pastoral leadership issue, the importance of focusing on church health is critical because as we focus on church health, what does it mean to be a healthy, fruit bearing disciple? We can't, you know, we can't go far at all into the Bible without recognizing that that significantly involves us being involved in evangelism. And so, again, learn from models, uh, keep them in your toolbox, um, but but don't feel like you have to clone models. And I would say, when it comes to growth, give priority to developing healthy church. But you cannot develop a healthy church without leading your church to be involved uh, significantly in evangelism. Amen. Amen. And I think evangelism is becoming a less and less uh, uh, important, uh, or at least uh, not important. Let me try to rephrase it. You don't use the word evangelism. I don't hear the word evangelism. Mm -hmm. People try to stay away from the word evangelism. Uh, I mean, I love uh, people try to cover that under outreach. Yes, and you're right. uh, I am uh, trying to fight against that. Even uh, wherever I am, I'm always trying to prompt evangelism. It's not some sort of ugly word. It's not some sort of uh, less important uh, um, Christian word. It's the word that we should be mm-hmm. constantly reminding ourselves because that's the essence. Um, brother, thank you so much. And uh, I just wanted to, again, the uh, um, uh, bring this back the book i was talking about oh my series got um, <laughs> I, she got off too so she's like oh you're welcome for something she, she thanked you for, on my behalf <laughs> right so in your book uh, i found the review it's um discovering church planting an introduction to what's why and how's of the global church planting and uh, in there i have this little piece on page um, chapter three talks about this And it says the, um, you talk about it is more organic, less 
institutional, mm -hmm. more simplistic, less structural, more communal. So you go in this like little by little, little mm -hmm. by little, you start with the, it's just like, I think the image has the book itself has that image of, um, let me see. Yeah, it's a plant. Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's an image of uh, a plant uh, thing. So I love that how you start with the um, simple thing. It's almost like looking at the root. And then from mm -hmm. root, you are like little by little taking it out and broadening. It's not about this. It's about this. It's not about this. It's about this. Um, so I just wanted to uh, take an opportunity and just to recommend this book one more time. Uh, I have, uh, I will be posting this. Uh, oh, thank you. Uh, in my uh, Twitter too. So discovering church planting an introduction to the what's whys and hows of global church planting. I love also the idea of global church planting. That's very important, uh, not only here, especially in New York City, it's a, it's a global city mm -hmm. and uh, church, church planting. I mean, churches are struggling and church planting even struggling more. Uh, two years ago, yes you will see church planters everywhere. They are meeting, greeting, things were just, just happening. And things have changed. Mm. Um, I just wanted to encourage people to don't give up on church planting. Don't give up uh, evangelism. God's in control. And thank you so much for being here. Uh, I really appreciate your time and your wisdom. May the Lord continue to bless you and your ministry as you raise new leaders, as you come along uh, new church planters and pastors. May he continue to watch over you and your precious family. Thank you so much, brother. That's been great being with you. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Please check back for new episodes every week.